On the 2nd of September 1666, a great fire swept through London. This fire was to become known as the Great Fire of London, and it took four days to extinguish. By the time the fire had been put out, most of London, being of timber framed, had been completely decimated. And now this is marked with a monument in London that's 202 feet tall, and if you were to lay the monument down horizontally, the 202 feet is the exact distance to the bakery on Pudding Lane where the fire is supposed to have started. It's funny, isn't it, how after a catastrophic event, humanity always looks for a scapegoat, a cause, where's the blame for this? And it's a very similar setting that we start this letter in Peter in terms of context. And this time it's not the great fire of Kitty's garden and it's not the great fire of London, but it's the great fire of Rome in 64 AD. In a row of shops very near to the Circus Maximus, fire broke out and it ravaged for six days before it even became under control. Sadly, after that, the fire whipped up again and it were to be another four days until the fire was put out. By the time the smoke departed, nearly two-thirds of Rome had been destroyed. Emperor Nero was blamed for starting the fires for political reasons and so Nero, the emperor, needed a scapegoat. He needed someone to blame and it didn't take long before a suitable one was found. An obscure new Jewish religious sect called Christians, whom he then started to persecute, got the blame for the fire. And so begins a persecution and a cruelty like you can't, you can't even comprehend. And ahead of this persecution, a shockwave was sent out through the fledgling church. And this letter that we've just read from Paul is his warning for the churches to prepare. They need to be sober, they need to be prepared and they need to set their hope if they are going to get through the suffering and the trials and the grief that's heading in their way. Interestingly, he didn't tell them how to escape this shockwave of persecution. What the letter tells them is how to endure it. Dear Peter, this married, impulsive, uneducated fisherman with a hot temper... It's probably a good thing that Peter didn't have a Facebook page, because if I did, I think his statuses would be rather interesting, and the counter comments of his fellow disciples would also probably be interesting to read. But there seems a sincerity to Peter. Peter was a man who so desperately wanted a mighty faith. He just faltered often. And this letter that we've read shows snippets into Peter's own journey and his own views of his faith. Well, he knows what it's like to falter, and perhaps why this is his let why his letter is so heartfelt. For example, he stepped into the sea, but began to sink as doubt stepped in. He faced persecution in the courtyard and denied Christ. Jesus asked Peter three times, "Did he love him?" And perhaps that's why, in verse eight, Peter comments, "Although you have not seen him, that is Jesus, you love him." He's able to speak from his experiences and apply his own life when ministering to others. He has learnt through his mistakes and has found the milk that will help these baby Christians who he writes to, to grow and to hold fast in what they were facing. He's not writing as a hypocrite. He's got the t-shirt, 
He's been there, done that, and now he's got the confidence. And it's a confidence in the gospel that would ultimately result in him becoming a martyr for his faith. Crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ. And if people say there's no truth in the gospel, a response then is that Christianity must be one heck of a falsehood for people to put themselves and endure till the last to that point for what they believe and what they stand for. Peter the Rock knows whatever trials or grief may come, he is enclosed and surrounded, held by the living hope of his salvation, the grace that Jesus Christ will bring when he is revealed. He doesn't clutch for straws in the current situation, trying to find his way through. His endurance is anchored in the promise of salvation. He's anchored that in the certainty, even if they kill him, death cannot touch him. And I wonder how the circumstances of your life and the beliefs and comments of others around you have impacted or eroded your own confidence in the gospel. When have the knocks and bruises of others' words and actions allowed the wobbles of your own faith to set in? And Peter assures us that one of the places we can find our reassurance and confidence in the gospel is Jesus's or God's track record. We can have confidence in the gospel as the prophets carefully inquired, searched intently and spoke about things that would happen and they all became true. The Bible contains scriptures thousands of years old and at the end of 2019 it's been translated into 698 different languages. It's a book that has been interrogated and grilled and literally torn apart by the highest of academics and still withstands and still remains the most read book in the world. In fact, the Bible has outsold any other book and at the last count it had sold something in the region of 3.9 billion copies over the last 50 years. It's the best-selling book of the year, year on year. As Peter writes, the word of God endures forever. And the letter Peter writes is addressed to scattered exiles and pilgrims of the dispersion. And it's clear that this letter is intended for people who don't fit in and are in a tight squeeze. They're going to get the wobbles. And all over the world today, Christians are being persecuted. The grief suffered, the trials endured, they haven't stopped and they will not stop. This persecution continues on so many levels. And I'm sure each of us can think of an example where we felt persecuted. When I became a Christian, I seemed to develop these radar ears for anybody who's used the Lord's name in vain. And if I would say to people, you know, please don't use the term in front of me, I would get sighs or eye rolls. And that's persecution. Perhaps you've been at school and been teased for your faith. Perhaps you've been in the workplace. These eye rolls and these sighs or the sarcastic comments. The devil knows how to build up of these things can erode our confidence. It might not be life-threatening, but we're being persecuted. We often talk about faith, hope and love, the greatest of these being love. 
but I fear that for too long hope has been neglected. One of the symbols of hope is an anchor. Confidence in our salvation is the foundation to our attitude to suffering. I'll just repeat that again. Confidence in our salvation is the foundation to our attitude to suffering. It is the hope, the confidence in the gospel that means we can honestly hand on heart say, I will fear no evil. And this confidence in the gospel is going to be needed more and more as we head into end times and get ever closer to the return of our Saviour in the second coming. And in the same way, Peter talks about the relevance of the prophets of his day. So we need to continue to heed the warnings that we read in scripture. 1 Thessalonians talks about a great apostasy that will come upon Christians. I read, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The Bible warns us there is going to be a falling away, an erosion in the confidence Christians have in the gospel that eventually gets so great they will fall away from Christ altogether. And it's easy to say that will never happen. Peter said he would never deny Christ. And we need to be discerning with our minds alert. We need to gird up our minds and get ready for battle. We need to put on the full armour of God. We need to speak protection over our minds because the battle to erode confidence in the gospel will start with thoughts of doubt setting in. We need to be prepared and not ignorant so that when these testings come, we can see them and rebuke them for what they are. I wonder, what impact do you think a greater confidence in the gospel would make in your life? What impact do you think a greater confidence in the gospel would make in your life? You see, Peter writes, it is your salvation you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith though it might be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though at times we might be overwhelmed with grief at a situation, the foundations for how we endure that season and this life on earth must be underpinned by an inexpressible joy that comes from total confidence in the gospel. Like Peter, I don't bring this message as a hypocrite. It's difficult. And there have been times, particularly in my theological training, when I have been sobbing on my knees in dark places, navigating my way through theological treacle, holding on to my salvation. I know that I've stepped out the boat and sank on more than one occasion, and I'm sure that in many conversations I have not affirmed my faith as well as I could have done. But there was one incident which I'd like to share with you when I learned a little bit about what Paul says about the joy in hardship when you have confidence in the gospel. And my grandma was dying in hospital quite a few years ago. 
It was all very sudden. She got admitted to hospital earlier in the week with a headache and by the end of the week had gone to be with the Lord. And throughout the week, my mum had been sending me text messages on updates of her care. And it became soon apparent on one particular day that she probably wasn't going to last the, the day out. And as the text messages came in, I remember now so clearly standing in my lounge with Poppy on my hip. I was pregnant with little Heidi and just crying out to the Lord in grief and anguish. I didn't know what to do. And the Lord said, I want you to praise me for your salvation. And that was what I did. And I turned on the TV and we put on some worship music and danced. And with every text that came in, the worship got louder. And in the decline of my grandma's health, I praised God and rejoiced with this inexpressible, increasing joy that Peter talks about. This sense of the full glory, even through the tears, receiving the end result of faith having a confidence in the gospel, anchoring my hope in the truth of the salvation of souls. There will always be fires on earth. There will always be fingers pointed and blame laid. There will always be persecution. There will always be people who fall away from their faith. There'll always be testing of our confidence in the gospel. But my prayer is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not ignorant to this. But live a life that rests in hope fully upon the grace that is brought to us through the revelation of Jesus Christ. May we go from here having confidence in the gospel. Amen.